Welcome to the Prodigal and the Priest podcast, a podcast about faith, sports, and two friends from different cultures. Here are your hosts, Joey Scansella and Father Paul Bechter. All right, welcome in. Prodigal and the Priest and me, question edition of our podcast. So glad that you all could join us. Before we start, just want to remind you how you can submit a question. Some people have asked me. And also, some people said, well, I don't want to submit this. Probably everybody else knows this. No. There's no question we won't dive into. Yeah. Favorite shape. Yeah. (laughs) Shape, sandwiches. There's something about a refrigerator, right? Wasn't that one? Yeah, with the light. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I still have people that come up to me in church and say, you know what pizza you need to try? Yeah, the pizza one was, I think, it affected people a lot. Like it had a reach. It cut, way, yeah, it cuts cut to, to the, the heart. heart. <laughs> it's very polarizing. Oh my goodness. Okay, so just to reiterate, if you um, would like to submit a question, you can do that one of a few ways. You could always just on our Instagram message us and say, "Hey, could you forward this to the guys?" Hey, <laughs> hey, <laughs> and they'll know who the guys are. Um, Second, you could go to our website, sandamparish.org slash PTP, or you could go, um, you could just email us directly at our Gmail account, prodigalandthepriest at gmail.com. So I really hope you take advantage of that and uh, yeah, it'd be great. All right, let's jump into it. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Um, Trying to drink this tea. So this one is from Jack. It's really um, hot. Jack is asking, uh, give a little context. Remember back before Christmas when I was saying it's tough that we have so many people that haven't been around the church practicing the faith. Almost, I wish we could give them another type of service mm. that wasn't a mass uh-huh. because we talked about the mass for disciples, you know, right, all that. Right. Okay, just context. Jack says, I was listening to your podcast on the way home from church tonight when I heard Joey mention a service type option with music and per- perhaps some um, sort of thing that is not the mass. It hit me. Does, doesn't the church have this? In fact, I'm not sure how it works in the Latin rite, but in the Byzantine Facts. rite, we celebrate Vespers um, and other things and many other services throughout the liturgical... Sorry. My page cut off year as a form of public worship that is not the Eucharistic celebration. For the faithful, these services are often a means of preparation to receive communion at the divine liturgy. For others, these services are means encountering Christ and learning more about the church. The hymns and prayers are catechetical in nature, and there is um, often, at least pre-COVID, some sort of social gathering afterwards. Next paragraph. (laughs) Vatican II's constitution (laughs) on the sacred liturgy states that the hours are prayed by the faithful prayed by the faithful and the priests in their approved forms that they are truly the voice of the bride addressed to her bridegroom. It is the very prayer which Christ himself, together with his body, addresses to the Father. Mm. Next paragraph, question, I think. Here we go. Would it be possible to celebrate one or more of these in a Latin rite parish, especially during major feasts? Are the hours ever prayed in parishes with and? With, with the faithful together, as mentioned in Sacrosanctum Concilium, um, I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Yeah. Jack, that was very awesome. T- I'm Jack, that was 
Jack. You get you get the applause button, Jack. Thank you. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I I know which Jack this is. <laughs> That, that's go. a that's a that's a great question, Jack. Um, so we do have uh, vespers and all those things. They are meant to be. Um, I think, I think in the vision of uh, Vatican II, but really just like historically, also the Latin Church is that they are these big sort of um, occasions, just like you described in the uh, Byzantine Church, mm-hmm. um, but just. They haven't taken such root. Like I know during during Lent in uh, like Byzantine Lent that like those are really big deals. I've never gotten a chance to, to go to one, but we'll we'll talk about that some other time. Um, so Sunday Vespers, for instance, is meant to be a really big thing. You can see that in all the documents in the introduction to the Liturgy of the Hours. I think even in Sacrosanctum Concilium from Vatican II. You can see, like, that's meant to be a really big thing at the parish um, so that this can be uh, sort of Christ praying uh, in and with his church and the voice of the people praying and just... You know, every Sunday at Franciscan, we had that. Yeah. Um, did you guys do that at UD? Uh, students, like in the chapel? students would yeah. do it. We would we would chant Compline um, every night, so night, night prayer Nice. Uh, as kind of a student thing. Um, which I loved. That was the first time I'd ever heard anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we do actually have that. Uh, one thing, the only time we really do it regularly here at St. Anne right. uh, is with our current pastoral year seminarian, uh, Greg Scatini, um, in the context of adoration. The big on, Scatini. Yes, yeah, Scatini. Joey likes his uh, last name. Uh, well, Italian, we're both from the Northeast, uh, too. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Greg's yeah. Greg's a Pennsylvania guy, you know. So uh, we we got right. connections. All right. Yeah. Got Shout the out Italian Greg. thing. Got th- anyway, um, he's been doing uh, evening prayer. Been leading evening prayer here on Wednesday nights mm. and giving kind of a reflection in the context of evening prayer. And uh, he's really doing a good job. Like I really encourage you to come and and see. It's part of the closing of our adoration. It's right? sort of in the middle right middle. now. Okay. So. Uh, adoration starts at 5 p.m. on Wednesdays. In our assembly room. In our, our assembly room, room, the old church. Um, and at about 5.45, I think, they'll start uh, evening prayer. And then in the context of that, he'll give a reflection. And um, it's it's good stuff. So that is just the liturgy of the hours in general, as even a, a devotion that people do at home in their families, I think is also part of the the desire of the church because it's such a treasure that we have but um so there's there's a whole bunch of different ways that it can it can kind of impact our lives um it can be something we pray individually at home as kind of a private devotion we can pray it together with our families um and we can pray it together as a parish actually in pre-covid times before the 7 a.m mass they would always pray morning prayer here. I don't mm. know if you knew that. Uh, Deacon Pete would always lead it. Um, where nice. you know, COVID's been a weird, been a weird year in a lot of ways. So we haven't been doing doing that. But like, but like to be able to do something like that in kind of a a regular way, so that people know when it is, and in uh, a beautiful way, 
uh, kind of a solemn way. Like you can use incense and everything. We would do this at the seminary all the time, and we would Whoa. call it uh, awesome vespers. <laughs> um, and we would just uh, like when. First of all, we would, you know, pray morning prayer and evening prayer together every day, uh, all of the seminarians, mm. and that would be a big thing. Right. But then even when we were, like, off, we were still expected to pray, and we were encouraged to gather into uh, groups to pray. Right. And so on Saturday evenings, we would, like, gather into a group in the crypt chapel and, like, have awesome vespers and get incense and get, like, a student priest to come and lead it and everything, and and try and make it big. Um, I think it's really, really important to do things like that, um, to remind ourselves of uh, that God has the first place, that he deserves the first place, and yep. he deserves us doing like kind of wasteful things for him. Mm-hmm. Like we need that. It helps unseat the idols which want right. to sort of and And if you're over. unfamiliar with the liturgy of the hours. Oh yeah. Um, a good, I don't know if you agree with this, but I've seen it work for people that instead of just jumping in and being confused a lot, um, the Magnificat actually does kind of a, a shorter little version for night yeah, morning right. and night that's that right. at least you can start to get the feel Yeah. and before you fully kind of yeah. make the leap. So just and wanted to toss that a out. A very yeah. common website slash app that people use is called iBrevery. Brevery is another word for the Liturgy of the Hours. Basically, it refers to the volumes as being shorter than what the monks would use. Um, so, breviary, iBreviary. Um, and there's an app. That's, yeah, that's that's an app that a ton of people will use. It's It's been approved for use uh even liturgically, although like you don't really want to use your phone if you don't have to, um, right. but it's been it's been approved for for priests to pray, for instance, and fulfill their obligation with it. So it's it's the real thing. Um, one other note on that, not to dwell too long, but like I, <laughs> the liturgy of the hours is one of the things that sort of brought me into seminary. I started praying it before I was a seminarian. Um, and it really started to affect uh, my life in a really good way. Like I had no idea it existed until I was introduced to it by some friends at University of Dallas and then started to pray it. And then I actually asked my mom for a birthday gift one time. Uh, she was like, what do you want for your birthday? I was like, maybe like the the sort of smaller version of the Lyrics of the Hours. And she got me like the four volume set, nice. which is like the big version. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'll never use this. And within like a week, I was just completely all in um, and loved it. Like mm-hmm. it really is a beautiful treasure. And the whole reason, so there was a, it used to be much longer. Um, this was one of the changes of Vatican II uh, with the ordinary form. So the extraordinary form of the, the bravery is longer and uh, has to be prayed in Latin. It's less accessible in general to the lay faithful um, and is something sort of like more in the domain of religious and priests and stuff like that. Um, A big part of the revision to it was so that it could be encouraged as the prayer of the whole church uh, together because this, while this is something that's required of priests and religious to pray every day, like 
it should be something that's made available to everyone because it's that important and that beautiful. Yeah. That sort of formative of our spiritual lives. Absolutely. Jack, thanks for the yeah, question. Great question, Jack. This one is anonymous, but I think it's pretty good. Hello. Y'all have talked about fraternal correction a few times, but I'm wondering what are the boundaries um, for this type of correction? Obviously, shouldn't correct a random stranger, but who are the type of people that I should correct? In other words, what type of relationship should I have with that person if I am to correct them? I've heard from a good priest that fraternal correction should only be done um, with someone you have superiority or better position over them, i.e. maybe older age or that type of thing. I'm not sure I completely agree with that. I hope this makes sense. Sorry if it doesn't. Thank you. And I love the podcast. Ooh, thank you. Thank you, Anon. Yeah. <laughs> Anon. <laughs> um, um, that's, a, that's a good question, too. Can the, I toss out something real yeah, quick please, to start ahead. with it? So, I mean, if you just actually look at the first part of the word when we're talking about, you know, um, fraternal cor- correction, linguist, what is fraternal? Frater, yeah, brother. Brother. So, I, 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 I'm not saying the priest is wrong, okay, because... You know, people get mad at those types of statements by light people. Um, but <laughs> what I am saying is that's a brotherly connection. The times that right. I've felt that I've been able to fraternally correct someone or enter into that dialogue is when we have a relationship, not me as um, a superiority, but me as let's talk brother to brother, you know, let's talk friend to friend, yeah. someone I've developed a relationship with, someone I've gotten to know, someone who knows that I'm not coming from a point to just attack and say, do better, you know? Um, I don't know. I just want to toss that out. That's exactly right. That's what I was going to say, but you actually said it better and with more things than I was going to say. So um, I get one every 40 questions. (laughs) So um, because like fraternal correction is between brothers, it's between equals. Um, If you have a relationship of superior order, superiority over somebody you're either their parent so it's paternal (laughs) or maternal correction or you are their boss at work and that's a different relationship as well absolutely Um, fraternal correction is talking about a relationship of equals basically um not to go against what that that other priest said yeah uh but which means that you need a relationship of intimacy this is something that i think i've said on the podcast before i heard somebody say it one time and it really struck me like people are only able to receive communication um in uh, a a level proportionate to your to your level of intimacy with them Mm -hmm. so like you know I, i can say a lot of things but it might not be received if uh we don't actually trust each other right um and Maybe it's important for me to say those things in a prophetic way, even if they're not received well, but that's not the same thing as like this kind of fraternal correction. So it's hard to say, you know, when this should be done because that's a prudential decision. It's not, you, you just take principles and then you try and apply them as best as you can with the virtue of prudence. Um, but because it's a prudential decision, I can't say, well, definitely in this case, but not in that case, but not in that case, there's too many cases. Mm-hmm. Um, the the basic 
the basic thing is that we owe each other in charity out of love um, to speak out when we see that they're doing something that's hurting themselves or hurting others. Um, it makes sense to us if we think in terms of like medical stuff, right? Or uh, behavioral things in like the public. But when it comes to moral lives, we can kind of shy away as like, that's not my place. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just not true. Like people might reject you for it or they might take it badly and then come back around and be like, you know what, you were right. And I really appreciate that because I know that you just said it out of love. But like it is an act of love um, to, it, it's actually an act of mercy. It's part of the spiritual works of mercy, uh, correction of someone, someone who needs it. So right. it's, it's not to say that like, you know, you're just, you become the, the, <laughs> the police um, and you start issuing tickets wherever you see somebody <laughs> um, going astray. But like, if you do have sufficient a sufficient level of trust with somebody right. where you know you can have a conversation about this even if it's going to be kind of difficult yep. and where you know that you can communicate that this is coming from a place of love and not judgment right and a desire for them to you know encounter God's mercy then like that's that's the kind of thing we're talking about yeah and we shouldn't we shouldn't restrict that right um great yeah next question Father Paul, currently struggling with uh, reconciling faith with having a desire for God. Um, I, oh. fe I feel like I've never really felt that jubilation moment. I feel oh. love for my wife and children, yet um, desire for God just isn't there. My faith feels flat or incomplete. I've tried um, following the you have to know the Lord before you can love the Lord, but I find my disinterest is so strong that when trying to read or otherwise learn about the Lord, I can't focus and wander. How does one cultivate a love for God when the desire is missing? I guess to sum it up, I want that road to Emmaus moment where my heart burns with desire for the Lord. I feel as if something is wrong with me because I can feel emotions for family, but why mm -hmm. is that so hard for God? I want my faith to be more than just following some... Um, prescribed set of actions, going to mass, going to confession, etc. cetera. Um, this is from John. Yeah. Great question. Uh, and thank you for, for sharing and for being, you know, that vulnerable in, in the question. Um, so I don't know. Feelings are, are tricky. Feelings are really important. I don't want to dismiss feelings, but they're also very tricky. Like we don't have much control over them. They're not, <laughs> they're not our reason. They're not our will. They're our feelings. Yep. Um, and in more philosophical language, they're called passions because they're passive. Something that acts upon us and we feel. Right. Um, they're not, you know, actions, things that we can do, active. Right. Um, so I think that's an important first thing to recognize is like, you know, it's probably not your fault if you don't feel something. Um and when it comes to the life of prayer, uh, God sometimes grants us like a good feeling in prayer, but that's not really what prayer is about. And it's sort of an isolated gift when he does. Uh, but that's an important thing that's distinguished from like, from like, I don't know, the, the peace and uh, the love of faith. Like you might 
have dry prayer. Um, but that doesn't mean that you always feel distant from God or something. I don't know. So it's, that, that's just a little prelude. Like it's, it's a little tricky to, um, dissect some of these things from a distance, um, and to look for causes. So instead, what I'm going to recommend is something that uh, I've been thinking about a lot over this past year and have spoken about on different occasions and have been just mulling over and trying to live in my own life. And I actually gave a like a sort of eight talk retreat on this topic to our seminarians a little while ago. And um, so it's a lot more than I can say just right now. But like I have found that one of the best ways uh, and the ways that it seems like people pay so little attention to um, for keeping the first commandment, right? To put God really in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the best ways to do that is to keep the third commandment, uh, keep holy the Sabbath day. Um, and the way oh, I see it is that means that keeping Sunday as a day set apart, a day kadosh in Hebrew, the, the way the Ten Commandments read, they say both in Exodus and Deuteronomy, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The mm-hmm. show uh, to keep it kadosh. Kadosh means set apart. So it's something that is set apart as a place where we can um, encounter God. It's sacred time. Right. And um, when we, that's hard for us to do. Like we don't really want to do that we want to you know take back some of that time for ourselves or um i don't know it's just it it requires some sacrifice and in making that kind of sacrifice uh even in smaller iterations throughout the week like setting apart a, a holy time of 30 minutes for prayer every morning um even if i don't feel a whole lot like that just the very act of being faithful to setting apart those periods of time for God um, helps kind of put everything in its proper place. Right. And so helps us keep the first commandment. And I find that like, it, it's not, excuse me, it, it's not magic and it's not mechanical, but normally when we, when we do put everything in its proper place, um, that's when our hearts are able to catch on fire a little bit more. Right. Um, but that, that's not to say, like, just do this thing and then you'll get this feeling. Right. That's not how it works either. Um, and so just to, to make this brief and very practical, like, what I found for myself is that it's like a three-legged stool, basically. And you need all three legs. One leg is your prayer, uh, is your, your time set apart for just prayer with God and not multitasking anything else each day. That's like a mini Sabbath for the day. Um Another thing is to observe some form of grand silence every night where you put your devices to bed and this is time set apart for God and for family, but not for work and not for uh, consumption of media. Right. Um, and that that lasts until ideally you said your, your meditation or your prayer in the morning. Um, so to keep kind of like the last moments of the night and the first moments of each day is something consecrated for God. Right. Um, so 
that's during the week and that's all sort of ordered to like the big thing, which is keeping the Sabbath day holy as a day set apart for worship and for rest. And so if you can honestly call something worship or rest, then like it's probably something that would be good to do to take advantage of this great gift as of a day set apart for God and for intimacy with him. Right. Um, I don't, like there's a lot more that could be said about that, but just to say like for for myself, I find the more strict I am with trying to set those things apart for God, uh, the more sort of the music comes back into my heart and it starts to be able like have space to right. to sing kind of thing. Um, it's a it's good for us to sacrifice things uh, to God in that way. We, we kind of need that. And so like, I'm not able, like I said, to, to you know, diagnose really yeah. uh, what's going on in your life. But I know that that's, that's something that pretty much everybody in our culture struggles with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that if we do try and observe it, we see it as like, well, you know, I'm commanded to do this and we don't see it as this great gift um, to like give us, you know, room to walk in the garden with God as we were created to. Right. Um, so I don't know. That's, yeah, that's a little, little just summary answer, I guess. Um, And I guess the only other thing I would add to that is to say, it can also be helpful to talk to a spiritual director who gets to find out those things about you and walk with you and, and journey with you. Um, and hear those habits, hear those, you know, just like we would go to a doctor and say, these are my symptoms. I'm not feeling well, like spiritual doctor, you know, yeah. <laughs> and say, no, that's so yeah. yeah, just toss that out. All right. Last but not least, two questions is who do you guys got in the Super Bowl? <laughs> TB12. <laughs> is that I, who you're rooting for or who you think is going to win? I think it would be awesome if Tom Brady won um, just for the historical value of it. But I think the Chiefs are going to win, and I'm not sad about that. Do they cover the spread of Vegas? I didn't look at the spread. Five points? I think it was five. I think they do. I think they cover. Let's make sure that's – What do you think? I want to make sure the spread is correct, so let's see. Um, Wow, does this one say the point spread is three now? Hmm. If it's three – Tampa Bay's got a good defense, but like – I just can't bet against. Well, I'm not going to bet anyway, but I can't <laughs> can't bet against uh, Pat Mahomes and just how dominant oh he is gosh, and how many yeah. offensive I mean, Kansas weapons City they have. Ridiculous. And Andy Reid and his crazy genius. Yeah, it's the mustache. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> the key to all his success. The key. Yeah i I think I think the Chiefs win by two touchdowns but if on monday morning the bucks won and because of you know something it's it's like the bermuda triangle just something weird takes place when yeah you play tom brady it's and true like people tend to collapse and it, i mean the it Falcons may not won. look like <laughs> it may not look like he's even playing very well but they find a way to win yeah i mean 
ask our seminarian Greg about his feelings about Tom Brady. He's yeah. not a big fan, but He'll throw and, shade. Yeah. And yeah, he almost did give away the game against the Packers and all that, but they ended up winning. He didn't. <laughs> but he didn't. And they're in the Super Bowl. And so he did what the Cowboys haven't done in the NFC for what, twenty five years? <laughs> 20? When was the la- you would know better when's the last I don't Super know Bowl. history. You don't know. <laughs> Maybe sports history. Sports history. Yeah. I know some other history. <laughs> you know some other history. So I think, uh, yeah, we'll we'll just end. Well, there was another one about the Super Bowl. You want me to just toss yeah, it out real it. quick? What are your guys' opinion that Monday after the Super Bowl should be a national holiday? Have you heard this? No, but I'm kind of okay with it. Um, it's kind of funny the days we do give as national holidays and for the amount of people that gather and late on this Sunday – well, I'd be right. fine with it. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't say no. I mean, your day off is Monday, so yeah, so you it doesn't matter for me anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and you have the four thirty mass though during Super Bowl. I time. do. Yeah, it's a sacrifice I make. I've laid down my life, serve the people. <laughs> Miss the first ten minutes of the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, yeah, Chiefs. Yeah, go Chiefs. Go Chiefs. Pat Mahomes, Texan. Texan. They win by 14. That's what I said. All right. Um, behalf of Joey Scansella, Father Paul Bechter, remember, submit those questions. Prodigal and the Priest, gmail.com, slash dot org slash PTP. Take care. God bless.